The scripture reading today is from Psalm 19 from the NIV translation. For the director of music, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. And today our message is going to be a little different. Um, it's a little bit more practical, I guess, in a sense. So we know right now that problems seem so big and overwhelming, and it's hard to know what can we do. Um, how can we renew our connection with God and with others? How can we find the strength we need to keep moving out and be a force of goodness in the community around us? And so today we're going to be talking about a spiritual practice that kind of feeds into all those different things. So we're going to be talking about silence and solitude. And I know it seems a little bit strange when so many of us are isolated with the pandemic right now to talk about solitude, um, but there actually are a lot of benefits to it. And Silence and solitude is different. It's not just being alone and not having people physically around you. Um, there's more to it. We're going to kind of talk about what that actually looks like. Um, but we're going to start by just talking about why is it valuable, what's important. It's interesting because the idea of silence and solitude is something that every faith practice values and talks about across the board. They all um, talk about the virtue of being away, apart, being open to the spirit, being open to how God is going to speak to you in that space. And so it's interesting when something is true and shows up in so many different areas across the faith spectrum. A lot of value in that. It's also reflected very much in science, which is interesting. I love when things that we know are true because of our faith and our beliefs, the echoes of that are also true in science, and we can see that um, carrying across the board. So just a real quick dip into research will show you across the board how much people value silence and solitude and the benefits. So from everything from the Harvard business school, to the Mayo Clinic, to that oh-so-reliable website, The Art of Manliness. They all talk about the values of silence and solitude. And some of the benefits that show up again and again across the board are just that it helps give you mental clarity. It helps to kind of clear the clutter in your head and help you to focus on what you are trying to figure out. It gives you time just to process your emotions. So many times we don't want to deal with the hard things in our life, and so it's very easy to keep ourselves busy, to keep, let the noise and distraction of the world keep us from facing those difficult things that we don't want to think about, we don't want to process. Silence and solitude forces you to kind of put those things aside and makes you deal with those things that you really need to deal with. It helps with better decision making. Again, again, just 
calming down this noise, all the things that are coming at us all the time, allows you to look at things more clearly and make better decisions. It helps your, your body physically as well. Um, just having that time to relax and escape some of those stresses gives your physical body a chance to heal better. Um, many, many, many studies have shown how your body benefits when your body can relax and calm itself down. And even just your brain, um, having that time of quiet is really important for your brain, for your neural connections. It even, there are some studies that show it helps your brain to produce more brain cells when you have that time. There's just a lot of ways that these things feed together. So again, there's a lot of benefits to this um, process, but also it's really just a foundation to a lot of the other spiritual practices that we talk about here at Imago and that so many faith practices use. So really we talk about things like Lectio Divina, where you're studying scripture or centering prayer, or just many, many other ways that we try to connect with God. All of those really require you to be able to handle your thoughts, to quiet yourself, to still yourself, just to be able to sit again with your own emotions and thoughts and be open and aware and pay attention to what's happening around you. Um, silence and solitude really is a foundation to all those different practices. So it's a good place to begin. So as many of you know, here at Imago, we have formation communities that um, some people are able to be a part of, and we have retreats over the course of two years, we start with silence and solitude because it really is the foundation for all the other things that we're gonna learn about, all the other processes that we're gonna practice. So having that part um, solidly within us and giving that place to begin makes everything else flow more easily. It gives us a stronger foundation for those things. We're gonna um, look at, to begin with, a quote from Parker Palmer that talks a little bit about this idea of how important that quiet is. It's from his book, Hidden Wholeness. Yet despite its toughness, the soul is also shy. Just like a wild animal, it seeks safety in the dense underbrush, especially when other people are around. If we want to see a wild animal, we know that the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, yelling for it to come out. But if we walk quietly into the woods, sit patiently at the base of a tree, breathe with the earth and fade into our surroundings, the wild creature we seek might put in an appearance. We may see it only briefly and only out of the corner of an eye, but the sight is a gift we will always treasure as an end in itself. So like Brian said, silence um, and solitude um, is really one of the foundational practices when we start talking about um, entering into any kind of spiritual journey. Um, you probably have practiced silence and solitude at some point in your life without even realizing it. You've probably tried to, um, you know, stop thinking about something or you've like taken a drive because you've wanted to get away. So we do know a little bit about it, but it really is the first step in cultivating presence and awareness. And so when I say presence and awareness, I mean talking about what's actually going on inside of you and around you instead of being attached to it, just experiencing it instead of trying to manage it. And so Richard Rohr, which I'm going to quote from extensively just because he has written about this a lot. If you are not um, subscribe to Richard Rohr's daily emails. I would really highly recommend them. He's a great teacher. So he says, Jesus told us in a number of places to stay awake and aware, and he gives us several scripture path passages in Mark, um, Matthew, and Luke. And he says, but awareness is not something that just means thinking about things carefully or being really conscious. Um, the Buddhists, so he finds a lot of commonality um, in Buddhism, and, and I would encourage you, there is... Um, there is so much to learn from other faith traditions. And um, like Brian was saying, silence and solitude really does appear in all faith traditions across time and space that we are aware of. So it really is something that um, the Christians don't own this, okay? Um, but the Buddhists, and, and Buddha, literally, like the word Buddha, literally means I am awake. 
um, he speaks, the Buddhists speak of object, objectless consciousness, where we're not conscious of anything in particular. It's a panoramic, receptive awareness whereby we take in all the situation, the moment, the event offers, and this is the key part, without eliminating anything. Because so often in our minds, we just want to get rid of stuff that doesn't go with what we're t wanting to think about. And he says that really doesn't come naturally to us. We have to work at it. All forms of meditation and contemplation, of which silence is one that we're going to practice today, are teaching us some way to compartmentalize our thinking mind. Some have even called it the monkey mind because it keeps jumping from observation to observation, thought after thought, feeling after feeling, most of which mean very little. We have lived with it for so many years that we take the monkey mind as normative. And I'm here to tell you that that jumping around thought to thought, that's not normative. That's what our ego and our society has placed on us. And there is something beneath that we're going to talk about. So kind of to summarize what he said, he's like, our, mind, our minds are wrapped in layers of ego, noise, external and internal. I know that I, when I sit with my thoughts, it can get very noisy. Um, thoughts of the past or the future, jumping from topic to topic. And I'm not saying that stream of consciousness is bad. If you're like in a flow state, a stream of consciousness can actually be beneficial and it has its place. But we don't want to live there all the time, which is where most of us actually do spend our time. And we're trying to get beyond that. And I would encourage you, Imago, that silence is an act of fidelity, a time to step out of the stream of consciousness that we've lived with for so long, and we take the opportunity to distill our voice so we can hear God's voice. So he goes, um, sorry, the wisdom of the Enneagram, another thing, if um, we do talk about the Enneagram a lot here at Imago. If you are interested in that, there is a daily email called the Ennea Thought that I would also encourage you to sign up for. It, you can get um, a thought for each day based on your number, and I get thoughts for the four because I'm very much a four. And actually today it says, once we understand the not doing, so I'm talking here, I'm going to twist this a little bit, I'm talking about being specifically attached to our thoughts. He, we see that the real struggle is to relax into greater awareness so that we can see the manifestations of our personality, or I would even say insights into your soul, by neither acting on our automatic impulses or suppressing them, just letting them be, which is what we're going to practice here in silence, we begin to understand what's causing them to arise. And the reason that that's important is because awareness of who we are and how we are automatically means that we know more about who God is and about how God is. Augustine says, Lord, let me know myself, let me know you. And he's definitely not the only person who has said this prayer. If you just look up know thyself, you're going to come up with like 15 quotes across all faith traditions and spanning time about that exact same thing. So once again, Christians don't own this, but we use it because we want to step out of that stream of consciousness and still ourselves to be with God. So we're going back to Rohr. He says, what the great traditions, like I just said, such as Buddhism, teach us is that the monkey mind, that thing that just jumps around, it's really useless when it comes to things like truth, love, freedom, infinity, eternity, and God. Think about that. The thoughts that you normally have jumping around, standing in that stream of consciousness, when it comes to those deeper things, it's not going to have a whole lot to say about them. It's going to re keep repeating what you've heard in culture. It's going to keep repeating what you think you need to survive. It's going to keep repeating what you think you need to control. And I'm asking, I'm asking you, Amago, to step out of that. What we have to do is learn a different mind, which we Christians call contemplation. So contemplation is not churchy, pious, or quiet, though our practice of silence is technically quiet. 
It has little to do with having an introverted personality, which I certainly do, and I still struggle to sit in silence even after practicing it for a long time. It really is a different mind. It's not about thinking, which is what we mean by calling it objectless awareness. We don't focus on anything. And I know that sounds weird. We don't focus on anything. So I'm going to come back to that in a few moments to help you with some images that might kind of round that idea out for you. But to, the image I want to start with before, before we settle in is um, how many of you, I'm asking questions, as if you can respond to me. There are some people in the room, um, so I apologize for that. But um, we always have like these distinctions that we talk about, even in psychology, of like our personality, our spirit, our soul. And I just kind of want to give you a metaphor that will help you understand kind of what we're getting at when we talk about silence. I want you to imagine that the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of love, whatever you want to call it, whatever you call that divine, I want you to imagine that it is all the water on earth or all the water in the universe, and that's the spirit. Each gathering of water, so we have ponds, lakes, rivers, oceans, each gathering of water is a person, somebody who has consciousness. And the ripples on the surface of that water are your personality, what makes you you in any given moment. The thing though is, is that the water, like ripples don't last forever and they change depending on what's dropped in the water. So you're, we might think that we're static, we are not. We change all the time. The deep water underneath all that, that's the part that rarely gets ruffled and that's the part that is true. And I wanna say, if the spirit is all the water and the ripples on your particular pond or river are your personality, I'm gonna say that that water underneath that's your soul. And so when we talk about silence, we're talking about trying to get down to the soul. It runs deep. So your Ponder River is your specific representation of the spirit. So silence lets us get deeper into the deep part of the water, the part that's still and not transitory. So Rohr says life can't be based on what is passing. So it can't just be those ripples on the surface. It can't be based on transitory images, things that change. Instead, we have to base it on the lasting truth, on the truth of who we are, on the truth of this creation, this creation, you, and God calls us very good. Those who don't have anything to prove or protect, remember God has already called you good, believe they are loved as they are, but we who have spent our lives ascending the spiritual ladder of doing, uh, maybe you came from a church that said you weren't doing enough, you weren't giving enough, you weren't, you know, giving your time enough, you weren't volunteering enough, you weren't present enough, you didn't look the right way. We've spent our whole lives doing that. And it's just really hard to hear the truth in that God actually already calls you good no matter where you're at. The truth isn't found at the top of our striving in trying to control those ripples on the surface, but down at the bottom in that deepest nature, the soul, the deep water. By trying to climb the ladder upward, we miss Christ who comes down through the incarnation, which we just celebrated in the season of Advent. Jesus is here with us, and he's not asking for our striving. He's asking for our presence. He's asking for our awareness. So, you see, sitting in silence is really a pathway to God, a way to say to God, I don't need my thoughts to define me. You define me, God. I can lay my thoughts aside because you've already told me who I am, and I am your beloved. Silence allows us to enter that place more and more, the place of allowing God's presence to wash over us on purpose, a place of receiving, not striving. And Mago, let God receive you. Let them love you in the ways that are tailored to you. And I can tell you what, 
sorry, I can't tell you what it will look like, okay? Because it's you and God. Um, I can have a conversation with you sometime if you want about what it looks like for me, um, and that can be helpful because I love to look at like pictures of people's vacations because I'm always like, I want to go there. Um, so I would love to hear about your journey because I will probably say to myself, I want to go there. Um, but, but only you get to decide what this looks like between you and God. I can tell you the steps to be present. I can't tell you what it will look like when you finally are. This practice is for you and God to figure out, and they are waiting for you, always. All right, I'm gonna share two images and a practical thing for you right before we go into silence here. So if you're struggling with how do I practice silence, what does that even look like? I want you to imagine that you're sitting in a balcony and there's a play going on in front of you. You're sitting in the balcony and God is sitting at your right hand or left hand, it doesn't matter. I usually picture Jesus sitting on my left hand and we're usually sitting on the couch watching something. I don't really know why that is, that's just true. Um, but they're sitting there with you and the, the stuff that's going on in the stage is your life. It's the things that are happening, it's the people you're interacting with. And just like in a real play, you don't talk to the actors. You just watch what they're doing and you receive it. And so when you think about whatever is going on in your mind, don't engage it. Think, don't think like, oh, I need to go to the grocery store later, so I probably need to make sure that I have enough to make that recipe on Monday night. But Monday night, we also have this thing that's going on, and I don't know who's taking the kid there. And then I think there's a meeting after that, but I'm not sure, and I'm not really... Do you see how you can go down this rabbit trail? Okay, so you don't do that. You just think, oh, I need to go to the grocery store, and then you let it go, because that actor left the stage. You do not have to allow anything else to happen with that. Now, let's say you're not really a theater person. There's another image that can help. So this one is if you're more nature-based. Um, think about you sitting on a riverbank, and you can be sitting with God. When I'm sitting on the riverbank, um, if I use this image, I'm usually sitting by myself. Um, but I am watching the current go in front of me, and as the current goes in front of me, there are little boats bobbing on the surface, and each boat represents a thought that I have. Now, it's a little boat. I can't jump into the river and get on the boat, and it's a river. I'm not going to change the river's course, so I can't really control it. So the idea here is to sit on the bank, watch the boats go by until they go out of distance, and then you can just keep watching the other ones come by, because like I said, we're trying to step out of that stream of consciousness and just observe it happening. So just watch it. Okay, so if those two images are helpful to you, then I am happy. If you want I love to work in images and metaphors, so if you would ever want to meet with me and work on a different metaphor that would work for you, I would love to hear it. Last thing, and then I'm going to let Brian talk, because I've talked for a long time, and I appreciate your patience. Um, remember how I use that example of, like, I need to go to the grocery store, and then you always have, like, this list that comes up in your mind, okay? I can get so worried about forgetting it. Like, no, I actually have to remember that. Like, I find my mind finally slowed down enough for me to remember something I needed. I, am, I can get so terrified that I'm going to forget it. Just write it down. <laughs> like, there is nothing that says you can't have a pad of paper and a pen or a pencil and just jot yourself a quick note and then go right back into standing outside of the stream of consciousness. It does not hurt anything for you to just write it down, and then it's going to be waiting for you when you're done. There is no chance that you'll forget it now because it is in um, print on a piece of paper, and that is a good and healthy practice. So just remember that that's a way to be undistracted. If there's a different method that works for you, I, I'm not super fan of using your phone because if you pick it up, you might see a notification, and that could just send you down another rabbit hole. 
I really think paper and pen works best, but once again, this is for you and God to figure out. Your practice is to have fidelity towards it. So those are my images and, and a helpful practice for you. So really a big part of this is just maintaining your expectations. Um, when you hear something like this and you hear what Vicki was describing, it can be easy to feel like that's something that only super spiritual people would do or it's something that old crusty guys with beards out in the desert can do because they don't have anything else going on and they're just waiting for their locusts to show up. So it's, it's easy to put that expectation on yourself. We just want to say to you, you cannot do this wrong. There's no way to fail at this practice. So don't go into it thinking, oh, I probably can't do this. Absolutely not true. You completely can do this. So just kind of put that aside. And also don't go into it thinking you're going to have this big grand holy revelation where the clouds will part and God will say, hey, here's exactly what you should do about this. Boom, thanks for doing this silence thing. I mean, it doesn't work that way either. There are times when that does happen for some people, and that's amazing when it does, but that's not the norm either. And that's not something you should go into it thinking, oh, I have to have this or I didn't do it right. You know, your only goal for this whole process is just to commit that time to sitting with God and just letting whatever happens, happens during that time. And if you just show up and let yourself be in that space that time, you've been successful. You've done the thing that you need to do. That's really important. Um, this experience will also change for you. As you try it different times, your experience will be different. So one time you might try it, and it goes really well. And it feels very rewarding, and it's encouraging, and you're excited to do it again. And sometimes it will be a struggle from the minute you start to the minute you stop. And you'll think, ugh, that was a huge waste. I didn't get anything done. Um, you did get something done in both those scenarios. And I found for me, like, there are times when I would really, really struggle with this. And then there are times when the, the time just flies by. During Advent, we did weekly meditations for 30 minutes here at church. And I would sit in those times, and the 30 minutes would be over before I even realized it. It moved very, very quickly. So again, that will ebb and flow as well, and that is completely normal. So as your experience is changing, that's great. That's a part of this process as well. And it's not linear. You don't start off where it's rough, and then you just get better and better and better and better, and then you're perfect, and you're the king or queen of silence and solitude. It doesn't happen that way. You'll cycle back, and it will ebb and flow. And that's, that's great, too. That's part of it. Really, with any one of these spiritual practices, um, there are three things that I always think about myself. It's intention, attention, and repetition. I feel like those three things can turn almost anything into a spiritual practice and turn our thoughts to God. So for this particular practice, the intention is just, again, to spend time with God, just to be present and sit with that space. The attention part is just the noticing. As you're sitting there, just noticing what's happening, what thoughts are coming to you, what is happening around you, what is the Spirit doing in you. Um, again, not trying to force it to be any one thing or another, just paying attention to whatever happens. And then repetition, again, if you're able to try this, more than once, if you come back to it again and again, the more you do it, the more it will solidify inside of you, and you'll see um, some things changing inside of you. So being able to come back to this practice or any practice is a great way to also deepen that connection with God and to see how that works. So we're going to um, try it together today, but I want to right now share a Thomas Merton quote that I just love that goes along with this practice, but so many uh, things that we do to try to help us connect with God. And this is what it says. My Lord God... I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me in the right road, though I may not know anything about it. 
Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Again, in this practice, it's that intention, that wanting to honor God and wanting to spend time with God that makes all the difference, not any special practice or any um, skills that you have. So now we're going to do something super awkward, especially when we're streaming, um, but we're actually going to practice some silence together. We're going to take 10 minutes of quiet just to be and to sit and to be open. So if you have kids running around, we totally understand this may not be possible for you to do this right now. Maybe you'll just try it later and set your timer for 10 minutes. That's okay. But there is something valuable about trying things corporately and together as a family. So we're going to do that. So really encourage you to resist the urge to use this time for a bathroom break or to get more coffee or to wander around your house until they stop being silly on the um, live feed and come back. Um, really try to use this time if you can just to sit and be quiet and silent and just to see what God does with that time. So again, we're gonna take about, we're gonna take 10 minutes together. We'll come back when it's over and just reflect a little bit on the process and what it was like for you to kind of wrap things up. Um, but again, during this time, um, think about some of the ideas that Vicki shared with you about how to manage your thoughts. Don't be frustrated if your thoughts start to go crazy and you feel like your brain is just jumbling all around. It's okay, just let each one of those thoughts go and just maintain that intention of sitting with God and notice what is happening throughout all that. So again, we'll just begin with some time of silence. Um, we will, we're gonna have some music playing in the background. Yes, okay, so I know that's kind of the opposite. We're gonna have music playing during the silence, but sometimes that helps this process as well. So we'll just have time to sit with that, and then when that 10 minutes is done, we'll come back together and talk a little bit more. All right, Imago, you just did it. 10 minutes in silence. And if you didn't really do it, don't tell me. Okay, I'm just gonna give everyone the benefit of the doubt. All right, so some reflection questions, and I'm gonna post these on Facebook tomorrow after you've had a chance to sit with it. But I want you to really, I really encourage you to think through these because they can give you some insight in how this practice could help you or go forward, okay? So the first one is how did you feel as you sat with the silence? Not necessarily solitude, unless you're watching alone, but solitude too. And I want you to try to figure out why you felt that way. It's not a yes or no question. It's, it's going to require some thinking. So this is not a time where you're going to step out of stream of consciousness. This is when you're going to actually engage your thinking mind trying to figure out what the feelings were associated with it. So if you wanted to do this in the future, like we get, the reason we wanted to do 10 minutes today, even though I'm sure it was incredibly awkward for some of you, is because this is, a lot of people are like, well, I'm going to church today. This is a dedicated time that you'd already given. So we wanted to give you the opportunity to practice it. But when you think about this in the future, what obstacles do you think you're gonna have to overcome or will prevent you from trying to do this practice regularly? And it's, you should not be ashamed of any of those logistics, okay? This is just you trying to figure out very practically what it is you would need to do to engage in this practice on your own without this time that we've set aside for you. Um, I guess the third question is really similar, logistics. Um, so maybe internal obstacles, external obstacles, but then really logistics, like where are you gonna do this? You have small children, sometimes, I mean, I will admit I locked myself in the bathroom. That does not re preview from the banging of the toddler fists on the door, so I'm really sorry about that. So you might have to look into logistics about how this is gonna happen. So like I said, I'm gonna post these questions on Facebook tomorrow, and I'm really encouraging you. This is a communal practice that we just shared. Even though it was silence and solitude, could we please encourage each other in this practice going forward. It really does make a difference to hear how other people are doing with it. One of the most encouraging things I ever heard about silence and solitude was Richard Rohr, who I quoted extensively today. He's in his 70s, 
he still struggles with this practice and he's been practicing it for 50 years. There are days where I do this in the morning and I look at my phone clock and I'm just like, oh my gosh, the time is up. And then there are other days I'm like, good Lord, why am I doing this practice? It just, sometimes it drags on. And we all need to hear those stories because you are not alone in this. You can fall anywhere you want on the spectrum of hard, easy, not meaningful, super meaningful, and you still have a place here. This practice can still be for you and it can still be for you to encourage other people if you share about how you practice it. So I wanna give some just really other practical suggestions. I know I gave you some about like writing something down um, if a thought came to mind during the practice. But maybe you just need ideas of when and how to do this. Like I said, you can lock yourself in the bathroom if you have toddlers at home, it doesn't always work. But I would really suggest if you're in your car and you're by yourself, don't turn on the radio. Don't listen to music, don't listen to talk radio. Use that as a time of silence. You can't be totally mindless because you still have to be a good driver. But just don't fill your head with noise. That is a really good way to start this practice if you're just in its beginnings. Um, if you're at home, don't have the TV on. Don't have background noise, don't have the radio on. Um, I have a sister that I uh, was talking to about this practice once, she's like, oh, I could never do that. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's just like, I would be afraid to have without any kind of noise in my house. I don't know if she was like worried that if there wasn't noise, someone would break in, which didn't make any sense to me. I, I don't really know what her thought process was there, but she was, she was actually afraid of being in silence. So she always has the TV on or the radio on, anything so that her house isn't quiet. So I'd encourage you, just if you're at home and you find yourself doing a task, just turn off the background noise. And then um, something you could do, grab a few minutes um, before bed, just as you're falling asleep, saying I'm gonna try not to think about anything as I fall asleep and invite God to be here with me. Or you can do the same thing in the morning. That's when I usually practice. I usually get up before everybody in the house. I know I didn't always do it that way, let's be honest. Um, that's what works for me right now and it could change in the future. There's no hard and fast rule. So when we did, we did 10 minutes today and, and like I said, we did that because this was a protected time for you to actually experience a depth of this practice. Um, if you start practicing this at home and 10 minutes is like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not sure that I can do that. I would suggest you start with two to five minutes. Like seriously, set a timer on your phone, two to five minutes to build some confidence so that you don't feel so overwhelmed as you start the practice. And finally, Amaga, I wanna say, this practice counts no matter how you feel you did at it. It, it just does. The idea of the practice is that you showed up our act of fidelity to God is showing up. The act of fidelity to our faith is showing up. And the rest is up to God. And I believe that your God and my God is big enough to handle all of those things where we don't know if we did it right. And God fills in the gaps. He writes straight with your crooked lines, Imago. He really does. And so I just want you to know that God is so happy when you show up. She's so happy to see you. And I can tell you, God, that God will always show up. You don't always know how. You don't always know in what way, but always. And so my thought to you, Imago, is just how are you going to see God in this practice this week and in the weeks to come? I just remember that, Imago. God will show up. And so we're going to end with scripture. This is from Matthew 11, 28 to 30 in the message translation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and rightly. Amen.